I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So this was intended to be a celebration. The season's been short but long. And we've had a lot of fun talking hockey and getting to know each other because we started this podcast together, you know, on the first weekend of the regular season and carried it to now to the chance to tee up a Stanley Cup final and not just any old Stanley Cup final with a Stanley Cup final that has a team in your backyard, Julian, participating in. And some great things have come out of this run, being able to do this podcast and the fact that Montreal Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup final. We have, you know, one Canadian franchise that gets to put COVID-19 behind them, at least temporarily. They can lose themselves in this improbable run to the Stanley Cup final. And for you, you've been inside Bell Center. You're now friends with Tim McAuliffe. You've seized the opportunity that a long postseason run presents to a burgeoning media star. But instead of talking about those things, at least to start here, we are going to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, and the cover-up of sexual abuse inside an organization that has claimed three of the last 10 Stanley Cups. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard the story, but to review, Brad Aldrich, a video coach with the Blackhawks back in 2010, allegedly, allegedly sexually assaulted two players and threatened at least one uh, as to force them to engage in sexual activity. It was reported, this incident, to multiple members of the management team, including former president John McDonough, and current general manager Stan Bowman. But the Hawks executive team, or at least whoever was given this information, denied that it would be reported to the police uh, as that moved up the communication chain. So what happened next? Brad Aldrich left the team shortly thereafter. I'm assuming it was connected to this incident. And instead of, you know, being put in the place that he belongs, which is a prison cell, He continued to victimize collegiate and high school athletes who would be considered just as or even more vulnerable than the Blackhawks who were involved in this incident. So not only did the Blackhawks enable behavior, the behavior of a monster, a person who is a registered sex offender and who has served jail time, but they apparently wrote a recommendation letter which helped him land on his feet and continue his abuse. Julian, this is as ugly as it gets in terms of scandal and story in the NHL, at least as long as we've been covering stories connected to the NHL. And it is going to hover over the Stanley Cup final like the dark cloud that it is. Yeah. And there's no reason that it should be cast aside or labeled as a distraction or any of those terms. This is the story that should be leading the NHL hot stove. This should be the hot topic that 
many different outlets, including the respective ones that we work for, should be focusing on. Because, I mean, just hearing the allegations themselves is just disgusting and just reprehensible. And I feel very sad and uncomfortable just knowing that these things were allegedly taking place. And yeah, I, I, I'm just on a personal thing, it just feels horrible just to hear. Uh, and the fact that it's at a point where, you know, we, we've seen the work of, of, of our fellow media colleagues covering these stories and people are starting to look at who's covering what and who's saying what, that's also been a part of this as well. And a lot of people are looking at it. It's good that people are, are holding others accountable to that and holding members of, of the Chicago Blackhawks for at least former who are now in, in, in other positions now in, the, in other teams of the NHL, they're trying to hold them accountable. I, I just think that this is just a too horrific of a story to even fathom happening. And the fact that it is like, we, we have to, we have no choice, but to make this the, the top priority on this podcast. And, and I hope that other outlets see this as well and realize that, you know, don't let the allure of the Stanley cup make you think, Hey, you know what? This Chicago Blackhawks story is just a simple distraction because it absolutely is not. And the fact that this Aldrich guy is, was able to work for all these different teams, even after the fact, to get a letter of recommendation, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I feel as if between that story and the Akima Lou story, which if the timeline lines up, we're talking about these instances happening not too far away from each other. Like this all happened under select members of the organization's watch like that's unacceptable and the fact that the, at, up until now it's very possible that if you're listening to this podcast on the monday maybe the nhl has changed its tune but as of now we don't know if if this is even under investigation or not this is there's so many things that are, are leaving me to scratch my head and they're leaving me to feel in disbelief over this and i know i i feel cynical about the NHL and other instances but I think for this like this is just too too volatile a situation for, for you to just kind of not say anything or, or just have one statement out to one outlet like I, I, there needs to be some kind of investigation over this and I, I understand that maybe for some people this may be triggering in some way this this may not necessarily what you it may not be what you expect to hear on a hockey podcast but this is something we have to talk about yeah, I think you mentioned a few uh, important things there. You just mentioned how, how hard it is to hear about this. And I, I, what I'm trying to grapple with is the fact that this was 11 years ago, and only now it's it's come to the fore. And this person has been tried in courts and has gone to jail, is already out, and is a registered sex offender living in Michigan and in probably a community. And people have to be wary about where he is and what he's doing and everything uh, that is associated with you know, him being back out in society. But the fact that it took 11 years for this to come to light is frankly shocking. And, you know, we talked about the media's role and, you know, the media is there to dig in and, and investigate and, and do what it needs to do to bring these things to light. But it also takes, you know, that the, the people involved to bring it forward. The people that knew, the people that were, not, I'm not necessarily not going to blame the people that were involved in the incident, but people who were told and just continued not to, you know, they, they accepted the no's that were given. Like that needs to be sh the light shone on that as well. But like the media's role has been, has been strewn into the story here. And 
I don't want to defend anyone. And I, and I just, I, there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but what Rick Westhead has done has been so, so important. And the media has shone the light on this enough and needs to continue banging the drum because we need to eventually get to the end goal, which is what really needs to happen. And that's a further investigation. I mean, we can talk all, all we want about, you know, who's saying this and who's saying what and who's silent and who's protecting sources or whatever. But the most important thing that needs to happen is that the, the information that has come to light needs to be acted on. So what needs to happen? An investigation needs to be launched both by the NHL and independently. And it needs to cover those who have gleefully ignored what has happened and allowed a predator to manipulate not just those athletes back then, but more athletes since. And anyone who allowed that to happen needs to be banned from the league permanently. That means Stan Bowman. And if that means Kevin Dayoff, Mark Bergevin, Joel Quenville, whoever else was involved, so be it. There needs to be a price for this. And the only way for that to happen is for an investigation to be done by the NHL and the NHL to step up. But also concurrently, an independent investigation needs to happen because Maybe we can't trust the NHL to do the right thing in this. So, you know, all this talk about journalism and, and that the journalist Rick Westhead in particular and Katie Strang and, and many others who have been involved in this, they brought this situation to the fore. Now it is time for the legal side of things to take over and make sure that, you know, we're not going to get justice here, but make sure those who were involved in this are punished accordingly. And we have to continue putting the feet to the fire of those accountable. Uh, I believe uh, Gary Batman in the league will be speaking, I think, today. Well, Monday, if you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast, ahead of the final. And I'm sure uh, there will be no shortage of questions or pensées uh, heading towards his way. It's very important that they're asked about this. You mentioned some of the NHL execs who were part of the Chicago Blackhawks at the time uh, when these allegations took place. Mark Bergevin. Uh, being among the high-profile names uh, who not only were part of the organization when this happened, but who have since gone out on two occasions through a statement and through Media Day uh, to say that they did not know anything about what was going on. Mm-hmm. And Mark Bergerman better be right. You, you mentioned the fact that if it gets to a point where an investigation is done and they find the involvement of all of these guys – it could get to a point where, you know, you feel in your, in your view, it could get, it should get to a point where these guys should face bans. In the case of Mark Bergman, if it's found out that, you know, he actually had something to do, the, do with this or he knew what was going on. I mean, yeah, I have to support that because that would mean this is a guy who would essentially would be a liar. And I'm not trying to say that right now. I can understand mm-hmm. that, you know, he went out of his way to say that he did not know anything. And it's very possible. He did not know anything. I have to admit though, someone just trying to make sense of all of the information. How are you a, di- a director? He was a director of player personnel and he didn't know. I, I mean, I can imagine for other people reading that and thinking that doesn't make sense. I was very surprised. I was very surprised to know that he didn't know anything. And even if it might be true, I just think that consider what, we, what we've also heard in light of the initial stories going out that these things that at one point went up to senior management, like, how do you not know? I, I just have a hard time kind of reckoning with that. And again, I just want to stress that the statements put out from Mark Bergman, uh, the written one and what he told to media day on Sunday, 
you know, he, he, he denied any, any knowledge of what had taken place. And it is still entirely possible that it is true, but I mean, it's just so it's weird to take in and it's weird to, to process. If nothing else, what has happened with the Chicago Blackhawks over the last 18 months or so, the luster, the shine on this organization, which tried its best at the beginning of last decade to, to shed itself of all of the crap that had followed them for years and years of futility and then start off that decade by winning Stanley Cups. They've tried so hard to try to change themselves and turn around, but these instances, and I mentioned before the Akeem Alou instance as well, mm-hmm. the luster and the shine of this organization has been completely, I mean, yeah, completely worn off. I'm sorry. This is just unacceptable. Uh, definitely, because, you know, John McDonough is the, you know, the leader or was the leader of that group and certainly knew about it based on the allegations that have brought forward. And Stan Bowman is a part of that group as well. For Bergevin specifically, you know, I, I hope he is he is remembering things exactly as they were. And he was adamant about it. He said it on the record. I believe it was Katie Strang who asked, asked the question. Yes, it was. Uh, and he he wanted to be completely, he was completely adamant, completely uh, not shying away from it. He did not know anything about it. And again, I don't want to see tons of quote unquote hockey men fall. I don't want this to be a systemic thing that ran through the Chicago Blackhawks organization and everyone has blood on their hands. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Whoever wants to see this happening in the sporting world is, you know, you'd be a lunatic to, to want to see that. I don't want people to be involved. I don't want people to have to lose their jobs, but the people that did, and I'm hoping it's a small group that did, should be losing their jobs permanently from the NHL. And again, I hope Bergevin's not in- involved. I hope Shevel Dayoff and Quenville weren't involved either, and everybody else who s- still and continues to play prominent roles in the NHL. I will um, just end with this. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily want to see a large group of people lose their jobs either, but if that's what it takes to ensure that justice is served, if it is necessary in this case, then I think that's what's going to have to happen. What we have to realize is, is that for change to happen, not just in this, but for so many other things, it's, it's, it's a little bit more than just peeling off a Band-Aid and you know looking at the scar after the fact. You, we have to embrace the fact that some tough realities might take place. And again, we just like to stress that, you know, it's entirely possible that you know the men involved uh, through the organization that we've mentioned throughout this podcast may not have actually had anything to do with what's going on, but if it does get to that point, you'd have to hope there are some serious punishments and offenses, uh, serious punishments doled out for those people because it's just unacceptable that this is happening. And this is the one story that we're talking about. There are some, there have been some other ones affecting teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins that have come out in recent days as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel that with the Chicago Blackhawks saga that we're, we're talking about right now, this could really just be the tip of the iceberg. Well, let's hope the investigation brings the appropriate things to light and that, you know, they're able to identify exactly what happened because clearly something pretty abhorrent happened with the Blackhawks in 2010. And there was an effort to make sure that it didn't reach the light of day. And of course it did. I, I, the, uh, not to, you know, distract from the point at all, but the naivete of these people who think that these things aren't going to surface is just mind-boggling to me. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to the Stanley Cup final. 
um, the matchup, Montreal Canadiens and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, it is an interesting one. We have the single most successful best franchise probably in the NHL versus one that's been nothing more than mediocre uh, up until the last month. Uh, we have maybe the best two net miners on the planet. We have the biggest, toughest defense cores maybe in the NHL. We have, you know, some trade history with Mikhail Sergachev and Jonathan Druin being exchanged for one another way back when. We have an incredible special teams matchups with one of the top power plays versus one of the top penalty kills, at least in this moment. We have Atlantic on the Atlantic crime with two normal division opponents meeting in the Stanley Cup final. We have two deep teams that have aggressively made, uh, you know, upgrades to their team. And we have one team that's healthy and one team that seems less so. So I'll ask you, Julian, given that you're covering this series so closely and been covering the Habs up into this point so closely, is there something, a matchup, a dynamic, an X factor that jumps off the page for you the most? Here's one thing I'll just add to all of the different side-by-sides that you did just now. Uh, obviously, I've covered the Canadians as long as I have. Uh, you may remember at one point I've plugged that uh, I went to Syracuse for a year. Uh, what did I do during the year I was there? Interned for the Syracuse Crunch, wow. led by Julian Brisebois. And uh, a couple of guys who are part of the team now, including Yanni Gord. Uh, I very much was very excited uh, to see Braden Point play that year. That never happened. Where's Braden Point now? Dominating for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So yeah, there's a not to insert myself in this. There's there's a weird kind of personal thing in this for me as well. It's kind of funny to see these two worlds collide. Um, yeah. In terms of it's really funny. Uh, in terms of the X factor here and 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 a matchup to look out for, um, I'm just really intrigued at how the Montreal Canadiens who have done a stellar job at this point of stifling front loaded the, the top parts of, of these teams they've matched up against the Toronto Maple yep. Leafs. They had the job of going up against Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. They shut them down. I've raved about the top six for the Winnipeg jets. I know Mark Shifley got suspended, but they still had some weapons in their top six. They found a way to bypass all of them. Mark stone rendered ineffective during a series against the Montreal Canadiens with the Vegas golden Knights. Max Pacioretty, He got his at different points. But Mark Stone, Jonathan Marcheseau, William Carlson, Riley Smith, the majority of those players, not necessarily big factors. I'm just curious, uh, with the Montreal Canadiens, they, they feel they're a team that could roll out four lines. The Tampa Bay Lightning are a team that could definitely roll out four lines. How are the Montreal Canadiens going to match up against a team that, as, as Nick Suzuki even mentioned during media day, is the most skilled team they've played all year, and a team that if you maybe, hey, you know what? You stop Nikita Kucherov and the guys that he's playing with. What about Andre Palat? What about Alex Kalorn? So many other, their defense as well are able to contribute as well. Like there are so many guys who are able to score. And they could defend too. We remember what they, we saw in game seven with the Lightning and the Islanders, a one nothing game. That's a team that I feel could play almost any style of hockey. And the Montreal Canadiens are going to have to go up against them. I mean, I think that's the big thing I'm going to be looking at in terms of how the Canadians essentially defend every line that the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to bring forward. And Carey Price, of course, the the big story in all of this. Andre Vasilevsky and Carey Price, two of the best goaltenders in the world right now, going head-to-head against each other. And look, Vasilevsky, we expect him to play at a high level. But what's going to happen if Carey Price also plays at that high level? It's going to be a situation where are we going to get like 1-0 games? Are we going to get 2-1 games? Are we going to get 3-2 games? Like it's it's a pretty serious situation. Those are some of the things that 
really thought about, um, I guess, leading up to this point in the series. And I'm also really curious, I guess, who's going to go up against Braden Point. Maybe that's probably Phil Deneau at this point. But again, like, yeah, you stop Braden Point or you, or you go up against Nikita Kucherov. The Lightning have so many options up front. I didn't even mention Steven Stamkos in any of this. They have so many options up front that could burn you and score goals on you. I'd be really intrigued to see how the Canadians can defend all of those players. So you covered a lot of ground there. I think um, yes. you got to my point by the end. I think my the most interesting single aspect is the Philip Deneau Braden Point matchup because Phil Deneau has done such a brilliant job against anyone he's played. It doesn't really matter if he's on there. He's he's on the ice with Brendan Gallagher on one side. It doesn't really matter who's on his left on his other side, to be honest, because Lekkonen's done the job and Evans has done the job and maybe Tatar not quite as much. But if he's got Gallagher and he's got Sherrod and Weber with him, I mean, it's just an impenetrable, bulletproof type of situation uh, in front of Carey Price. But Braden Point presents something that he certainly hasn't seen yet. Braden Point has been, you know, I, I think he's arguably been the best skater in these playoffs. I think he's just been absolutely incredible. We know about the goal scoring, but everything else he does for the Lightning is just beyond uh, comparison, really. And this, the the difficulty with this matchup and the task at hand here for Phil Deneau is, I think, on an extreme level now. And, it, 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 you know, Austin Matthews is Austin Matthews. He's just elite shooter. But if you can stay in his space, if you can stay bodied up with him, you're going to have a successful time, I think, preventing his best weapon, which is a shot. But Braden Wet, Braden Point, rather, is just so slippery. Is just such a dynamic player. Is so good in all aspects of his game. And I think just those two playing against each other is the most fascinating aspect of all this. And then we got, you know, those lines are just not what they are. It's not just Point versus Deneau. We also have Gallagher and Kucherov. And we don't know how healthy Kucherov is coming into this Stanley Cup final series. And Gallagher, I think he seems to be sort of bringing his game to the next level a little bit more. And, and we're starting to respect him more as a shutdown guy when really this is a guy that the Montreal Canadiens have leaned on for goal scoring for so long. So I think that matchup, Gallagher and Deneau versus Point and Kucherov is fascinating. And I wonder how the Nikita Kucherov injury might balance that out. And, you know, that's not going to tell the entire tale of this series. But I think it's a major, major thing because Braden Point has been the motor for the Lightning in these playoffs, these entire playoffs. He's been so important. And I wonder if the Lightning still have the edge in the other lineup and the other line matchups. But if Deneau can shut down Point, it's almost like cutting off the valve, the, cert the blood supply, where it comes from. It's like Braden Point is that guy for the Lightning. And if Phil Deneau is going to have his hands full, but if he can shut down Braden Point, man, what a job he's done. Injury to Nikita Kucherov. Didn't you see what he said during the media day? There's no injury to Nikita Kucherov. There's no injury at all. What kind of hogwash is that? I don't you buy know. Anyway. You buying everything you heard at media day? Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on, move on from that. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, obvious. Look, if he's on the ice, regardless if he's at 50%, 75%, 100%. You have to keep an eye on this guy. So even if he had an injury or not, he's still someone you're going to have to pay attention to if you're the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I, I, again, just with the way that their offense is built, and I know that the the, uh, the bottom six matchups are also an intriguing one as well. I know you kind of start to allude to them as well because the Canadians have done so well 
generating offense from their third and fourth lines, in particular that fourth line with, with Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, and Yoel Armia. But to bring COVID into this, Yoel Armia not at practice for the Montreal Canadiens ahead of game one, and he's in COVID protocol. And he didn't fly with Tampa. So the Canadians are going to have to plug in someone else on that fourth line to, to make up for the energy that Yoel Armia has been able to bring. He's been playing his best hockey since he joined the Montreal Canadiens. And to not have him in the lineup is going to be a huge, a huge loss uh, considering how good that fourth line has been. So if you're, if you're the lightning, you have an opportunity to kind of jump on that opportunity, but they still have Corey Perry and they still have Eric Stahl who have been absolute beasts for them in the playoffs. And even if that line doesn't, look as fast as as you might expect you know if this was 2012 maybe a little different but we're obviously in 2021 they've done such a great job of having the opposition in their own zone and cycling around and getting chances on net there are nights where that line looks to be the most dangerous one that the canadians have while the top line is doing the job of shutting down the other team's best players so i'm really intrigued to see as well uh what the life will be like for without Yoel or me on that fourth line for the Canadians and that third line as well with Paul Byron, uh, Jesperi Kakanyemi and Josh Anderson, who also saw some success against the Vegas Golden Knights. Josh Anderson in particular with the two goal game uh, in game three of that series, that bottom six matchup. I think that's also going to be a big storyline going forward. Certainly. Um, we, you mentioned Steven Stamkos, sort of a delayed mention of Steven Stamkos. Um, and you know, there's been some talk about how that Lightning second line has struggled, and then they answered the bell and played so well in one of those. Uh, I think it was the Game Five victory over the over the New York Islanders. Um, is there a major advantage there? Do you think for the Lightning in that second line spot? I mean, it doesn't. You know, we don't really know who they're going to play against or who you know John Cooper would like to see them play against or the Dominique Ducharme, Luke Richardson group wants uh, to see play against a Stamkos, Kalorn, Sorelli unit. But if we're talking about groups on paper and neglecting to mention how dominant Cole Caulfield has grown to be in that second line role with Nick Suzuki, it is, is the major advantage in this series and also keeping, you know, with respect to Phil Deneau, potentially keeping uh, Braden Point in check. Is that like the major thing that sticks out? The fact that the Lightning have so much talent on that second line, and that might be a bad matchup for whoever has to take it on in Montreal. If there's one thing we've learned throughout this postseason is that we have to be very careful with how we value lineups and arrangements on paper because the Montreal Canadiens for three straight rounds have gone up against teams that on paper have guys that are more talented than the ones that they have. And while I do think that the Lightning pose a bigger challenge than any of the teams that they've played to this point in the playoffs because of the fact that not only do they have talent on their top line or their top two lines, you could literally point to almost every single line that they have. And there's, there's no shortage of plugs. There's no, there's no shortage of, of, of talent across their forward core. So I think on paper, obviously you look at the Tampa Bay line, you look at that second line uh, and you give them an advantage, but the Canadians have just shown throughout the playoffs that, they've been able to get everyone and everyone to work hard against lines that they should have no business uh, going up against. Like, again, I bring up the, the misfit line of, of, of Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault and William Carlson. That's a, that's a line with some pretty talented players. And they were not that big of a factor against the Montreal Canadiens. 
and mm-hmm. fine. It may be a little different from the Stamkos line, but that's still a really good line. The Montreal Canadiens were able to shut down completely. And again, I, and, and I'll allude to, again to the fact that they've been able to shut down all that top-loaded talent to this point. I think we just have to ultimately be very careful uh, how we look at with how we look at the Canadians going up against top-tier talent because they've shown throughout the postseason they've had no problem going up against that top-tier talent because they've been able to outwork them, uh, deny chances for them to, to, to get shots off or, or make passes through the neutral zone. And, and just overall play a good brand of hockey against those teams. We have to be careful with how we look at that. Yeah, we should learn our, our lesson because it hasn't been for the Canadians about names on the back. It hasn't been about hard matchups. It's really been about systems. The Montreal Canadiens have gotten to this point because they are performing so well within their systems. The way they skate, the way they pressure the opponent, this isn't just happening with one line. They don't have a specialty line that does this other than Phil Deneau and the shutdown line. But through the bottom or the bottom of the lineup, the lot, bottom three lines, it's not like one of them does this and one of them does that. No, they all do the same thing. It's waves of systemic pressure, speed, and the way that they stay within that structure has really been the difference. And that nullifies a lot of what the opposition can do because, you know, it's not, it's not about trying to, oh, we got to shut down this guy, but here's our advantage and we're going to attack here. No, it's the same thing uniformly over and over and over again. And that's what Montreal has done better than, way better than we expected them to do, certainly, but probably better than any other team. I mean, even the Lightning have shown these ups and downs where they play one way and then they play another way. Like what was so impressive about that is that they played the Islanders game in game seven. They just decided to, hey, we're just going to block every shot and you're not going to get enough shots to win this game because we're just going to be in front of the ball. And that's, I, I, I'm going to get into it at the end when we talk about like sort of the predictions. I think that's a huge thing for the Lightning is that they can win multiple ways. But the fact that the, the Habs do everything in their lineup the same way, the systems being function are functioning at a, at a level in which there's no drop off. That's the most important thing. And that's what eliminates, I think, maybe the potential talent discrepancies and what has to this point. And it could again, because as good as Sorelli, Kalorn, and Stamkos are, you know, they might fall into the same trap where they just get engulfed by those waves of systemic pace. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And speed and structure. Uh, we shall see. Um, one thing that is a direct matchup, though, is the goaltending. You touched on it with Price and Vasilevsky, and I mentioned that it might be the two best goaltenders in the entire world going head to head uh you said we know what to expect from Vasilevsky we know he's going to be great I think we expect that same thing from Carey Price though uh but the way you sort of framed it it's that 
maybe the goaltending advantage lies with Tampa Bay. So do, do you believe that? Um, and is the fact that the, the Canadians are meeting an elite goaltender maybe for the first time, or at least, you know, obviously Robin Leonard played tremendously in relief of Marc-Andre Fleury, and Marc-Andre Fleury was brilliant for most of the postseason, but not necessarily against Montreal. Uh, Connor Hellebuck was an elite goaltender but he didn't play that well. They broke him down very fast. And Jack Campbell had better numbers than Carey Price. So it's wrong to suggest that they haven't met great goaltending, but has Carey Price, met, Carey Price met his match in this series is, I guess, what I'm trying to ask you. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. I, and I, I realize I did kind of frame it in a way where the Lightning did, the Lightning essentially are coming into the series with a better goaltender. And I guess you have to add the context with the fact that Andre Vasilevsky has been playing at an unreal level uh, in the NHL, he's the, I think he is the number one goaltender in the national hockey. We carry price was entering a season where a lot of people were taking shots at how he performs in the regular season, wondering, you know, about his contract and all that. He, the way that he's played in the postseason, he has completely turned around that narrative for himself and has returned to a form that maybe we haven't necessarily seen since the year he won both the heart and the Vezina. Maybe there's reason to believe that, I guess with this with this stretch of play and the way that he's been focused, you could argue that there's some stretches he's looked better than that form. So maybe that's why I framed it that way. But let's let's not make let's not get it twisted here. The Canadians have an elite goaltender of their own in Carey Price, and I think as long as he's up there and he's playing well, the Canadians have a chance. I guess mm-hmm. one other thing I, I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning with the way that they play and the guys that they have. If Andre Vasilevsky doesn't necessarily have that good of a night, I think maybe I trust the rest of the team in front of him more as opposed to the Canadians. If Carey Price has himself an off night and the players in front of him are are pretty much left to their own devices and they have to score, they showed at the early at the early point in the season that they were able to to get some points up. But I mean, that was earlier in the season. We all know what happened with the rest of the year after that. Um, but I, I think we're go- we're seeing a matchup with two elite goaltenders. And not to be captain obvious about it, it's going to come down to whoever stands out and be and is the better one of the two. But I just think that with how they've both looked over the last little while, it's kind of hard to say one is completely better than the other. I just think what's cool about it is, is that Andre Vasilevsky is the guy who's the guy, the number one guy right now versus a guy who once upon a time was the number one goaltender in the world and has kind of used this postseason as a reminder to everyone and just say, hey, no, I'm, I'm still that guy. I'm still an elite goaltender. I'm still the guy who could be considered among the best in the world. I mean, we're at a point now where, and I thought about this before going into the series, and Julian Breesbrock kind of mentioned it during his, his presser. We're talking about a guy who essentially is using this postseason run to solidify his case to make the Hall of Fame. Like, I think if you were talking about his Hall of Fame candidacy, there'd be a bit more debate heading into the postseason with how his years have looked. But I think with a run that he's been on right now, Carey Price has has opened the door to have these debates and conversations. And if he wins that Stanley Cup, he's a virtual lock. But I think, like, not to kind of switch the conversation into Carey Price, whether or not he should be a Hall of Famer, but... I think enough people are during this series are going to start asking that question. And I think I'm, I, at first I wasn't sure I would, I wavered, but I think the fact that he's gotten himself to this point, like 
yeah, like I'm leaning towards him actually being that guy. He's shown that beyond that Vezina Hart year, like he's been that guy and he's won at every level aside from the Stanley Cup. Uh, just goes to show he's one of the best goaltenders of our era. So yes, Andre Vasilevsky might be the best goaltender right now in on the planet. It's possible you do like a power ranking style where guys just catch fire and you know what, this guy just is the best, just this guy might be the best right now. Carey Price has shown throughout the postseason that he's not just some schlep. He's he's still very much an elite goaltender, and the Canadians can feel confident in the fact that they have an elite goaltender of their own. So it's it's very close between those two. There's no distinct advantage in, in that regard. The uh, the legacy implications are fascinating for me, and I want to get to those in full in a little bit. So we'll come back to the Carey Price Hall of Fame discussion in a second. Um, but let's get back to media day for a second, because they have media day for a reason. They have media appearances for a reason. We get to learn a little bit about what's actually going on. We get to ask some questions. Uh, we've learned that Phil Deneau is like the coolest guy ever. Like I, I love the guy now. I think he's just awesome. Uh, we've learned Cole Caulfield's not afraid of saying anything really and, and challenging a guy like Robin Leonard uh, who, who thought he might've had an edge on him. So there's things that we can take and apply to our analysis. So I wonder after you took in everything at media day, is there anything that stood out for you? Is there any, was there a shot across the bow? Was it a lot of tire pumping like Breeze Watt to Carey Price, which could be intentional or deliberate, or perhaps he's just being, uh, you know, giving the proper flowers to the right man. But I, I wonder if there's anything that stood out for you when, when guys were asked about the opposition, were asked about their own side, was there something that sort of got, I understand it was a lightly attended media room in Montreal for whatever reason. Maybe they're all getting the, the extra uh, day in in Florida, which I don't, I'm not going to hate on them for that. Um, but was there something that jumped out to you that got the people in the media room to raise their eyebrows, to think about uh, what is normally stock answers and, you know, someone going outside of those stock answers and delivering something for you guys to dig in a little bit more to. So I would say that uh, I wish there was something very interesting said by any of the players, but uh, it, let's be real here. The two <laughs> things that kind of dominated uh, the the cycle uh, that day uh, was Mark Bergevin denying he had any involvement with what happened with the allegations around the Blackhawks and the news that arose about you all are Mia uh, being right. COVID-19 protocol. Those were the two big things that kind of had everyone's eyebrows raised in terms of, I guess, kind of delving into some of these specific subjects. Uh, one storyline that seemed to pop up a lot in a lot of the questions uh, being asked by Montreal media members. And I, I know we'll, we'll talk more about the legacy with these two players. Uh, it, it's the fact that Mark Bergevin has essentially built this team uh, around Carey Price and Shea Weber, two guys who uh, have meant a lot to this organization over the last few years. And through the quote unquote reset that was done in 2018, which pretty much starts with the trade involving Max Pacioretty and Nick Suzuki and the Vegas Golden Knights with the pieces they've been able to bring in since then, they've done it with the intention of ensuring that they have guys who are able to play well around those two cornerstone pieces of Shea Weber and Carey Price. And it was interesting to see uh, players kind of talk about the fact that, you know, more or less that they're doing this for those two guys because of the fact that they've been around the league as long as they have. They have seen success together at the Olympic stage 
They have I know Carey Price obviously has his own individual accolades. Shea Weber has been in consideration for some, but he's at least got some all-star all-star appearances appearances to his name. But they're both missing that one thing that caps off a career, and it's winning a Stanley Cup. This Shea Weber, you gotta remember, up until this postseason, never ever gotten past the second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Never. You, know, you spend all those years in Nashville with some pretty good teams, coached by Barry Trotz, never got to that point. Carey Price, in 2014, when the Canadians got to the conference final, got hurt. People still mention Chris Kreider. It's, it, it's, it's a very sore point for a lot of Canadians fans. 2010, that miraculous run that they went on where people were divided because they wanted to see Carey Price or they wanted to see Yaroslav Alak. Mm-hmm. You know, this year... Carey Price got to be the man in the conference, sorry, in the Stanley Cup semifinal, not the conference final. Uh, and and it, yes, I can't forget that. And managed to bring his team to the Stanley Cup. Uh, when the Canadians, if the Canadians win the Stanley Cup, at the end of all of this, you could look at those two players and you say, hey, finally, they were able to get to that point and they could join teammates like Eric Stahl and Corey Perry who have been to the mountaintop before and they'll, I think the NHL posts some stats saying like those two guys could win like a Stanley cup, like the first time in like what, like over a decade for those two players. Like yeah. that's insane for those, those two guys who, again, they've meant a lot to this team throughout, throughout this playoff run. So I think the big thing is that it's very clear that if the Canadians are successful at the end of all this, the fact that Mark Bergevin was able to cobble together a team with those two players pretty much at the center of all of it. Yes, their contracts are, are pretty expensive and it would have been very hard to move. You had to deal with that. But the fact that he stuck to his guns and committed himself to building a team around those two guys, it will go down as a, it will go down as a success. Oh, certainly. Um, I, I'm always fascinated by the legacy legacy stuff when we reach this point, because, you know, we, we, we 51 50 weeks a year, we talk about these guys a very certain way. We've been talking about Carey Price sort of in a negative light for pretty much since he signed that contract until this point where it's, well, he's not worth the money anymore. So is he that great of an asset? Like we, we sort of lose our, our focus a little bit on what's actually happening. And now that Carey Price is in this position, has got to the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final in 2021. I don't think it was really a question for me before, but this solidifies it. There's, there's, there's a first ballot Hall of Fame induction for Carey Price mm-hmm. in his future. I think win or lose with what he's done from an international level, what he did in his heyday being a Hart Trophy winner, a Vesna Trophy winner. And, and you know, we haven't seen many, if at all, well, we've seen goaltenders before, but not many at all do that. And Carey Price did it. And he won at the highest level on the international stage. And if we're, we, we count international hockey the same way we do Stanley Cup or, or NHL performance. We just, we, maybe not on the same level, but we grade it as well. And Carey Price deserves to be graded on that. So I, I, I think this solidifies that for me. First ballot, no question. But if the, the Montreal Canadiens do win, I think Shea Weber is going to get there as well. Because for a long time, he was considered one of the very best defensemen in the, in the world. And it has mm-hmm. soured a lot since, you know, the five, six years since. But if he get, wins the Stanley Cup with the, the Olympic accolades that ha- he has and the fact that he was at the top of the mountain for a very long time in terms of defensemen, I think that gets him in as well because this is a major – and this, for that reason, is a major, major opportunity for him. Um, but there's other legacy 
context here. I mean, and I keep coming back to Steven Stamkos. And, you know, we all remember that Steven Stamkos played, what, five shifts or five minutes, scored one goal, basically had no part other than being handed the Stanley Cup by Gary Bettman in last year's bubble championship. And I cannot help but think that this means so much more to him. And this much this means so much more to the Lightning, the fact that he's involved in this. And it's also, you know, in front of fans and it's at their home. It's not in a bubble in Edmonton. Like there's that aspect of that as well. I don't know if they'll be heartbroken and devastated and they can't go on if they don't win this Stanley Cup. But I think it would mean a lot to that organization and a lot to Steven Stamkos, who's in that Hall of Fame discussion as well. And his name has soured a little bit in recent years because he hasn't been the best player in the Lightning for a while. And he might be considered overpaid since he got that mega contract. So lots of opportunities here for players that we've maybe forgot about a little bit. And then with the two teams, the Lightning Canadians, and I want your take on what this means for the Canadians, but the Lightning win this Stanley Cup. They're the best team in the cap era, no question. I mean, what Detroit did- Better than Pittsburgh? What Detroit did at the beginning was fantastic. They act, and then Pittsburgh won a Stanley Cup and then back-to-back Stanley Cups. But now we're talking about a historical regular season in which they set records, back-to-back Stanley Cups, three finals appearances, all these runs, no letdown, and the fact that the team hasn't dismantled like we've seen other great teams dismantle. And that is coming, and I guess I can't really grade them on that because at a certain point there's nothing you can do. But the way the Blackhawks fell apart, the Lightning haven't done that. And even the Pittsburgh Penguins, they've sort of depreciated a little bit uglier than the Tampa Bay Lightning have or could. So I, I think we've got to give a lot of credit to the Tampa Bay Lightning who are doing this in an era where it's so difficult to keep keep, keep great teams together. Excuse me. Uh, and I think we'll be talking about them as the team of the cap era if they do, in fact, win back-to-back Stanley Cups. And then what does this mean for the Montreal Canadiens? It's weird, right? Because this is out of nowhere to a certain extent. It's, you know, backs against the wall for Mark Bergevin and Carey Price and Shea Weber in this era. But this is also the winningest program in history, the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup, even though it was a, you know, your lifetime ago. So what does this mean for the Montreal Canadiens? In terms of legacy, how will this be remembered in comparison? And I know you don't, you can't remember it when it happened, but how how is Montreal sort of, um, embracing this, obviously they're embracing it well and fanatically, but like, where will this rank and what will this mean in the annals of history 10 years, 20 years down the line when we look back on it, do you think? Oh man, are you kidding me? That like people in this city are going to remember this forever because, I mean, they remember a lot of Stanley Cups forever, but I think this goes right up there with obviously the 93 run, which was as improbable as it was, the 86 run, which was as improbable as it was, this run might be even more improbable than both of those runs. You're talking about a team that started off hot, then faded completely uh, by the midpoint of the year and pretty much crawled to get themselves to the end of the year. A team that was playing through a pandemic. I'm sorry, but like people who want to put asterisks on seasons that are laden with the pandemic, it's the it should be the opposite. We should be looking at these seasons as huge challenges. Going through a bubble and winning a Stanley Cup, that should not be seen as, oh, well, congrats, you did an asterisk on your season. No, that's extremely difficult. And even if the Canadians were not in a bubble, they were not able to travel to other uh, parts of the states to play against these opposing teams, and everyone wrote them off when they were going up against the Vegas Golden Knights, and they found a way to defeat them. 
And, and let's not forget the next worst thing since the Spanish flu, the Montreal Canadiens actually de- dealt with it in their team. Yeah. Like they seriously. had COVID-19 outbreaks this season. So saying they're that dealing with it oh, right COVID now, season, they have, they have, yeah, they're dealing with it as we speak. It's, it's not like nothing. It is a serious, serious thing that they've overcome. here. Absolutely. And if they get to a point where they win, it, and it's not just the fact that they get a win here. Winning game six on June 24th, a national holiday in Quebec. That's a huge deal for a lot of people. A lot of people like to go around and, and celebrate St. Jean-Baptiste. And actually, you know what? There's a small anecdote I'll bring up here. One of my friends, uh, we were talking about this and the fact that they are, you know, like me, an Anglophone Quebecer. So, you know, we see June 24th and we're just like, okay, cool. We have a day off. You know, maybe we don't feel the same connections and values to that day as someone who we consider like a Purlaine Québécois born in the province who sees the day is like, oh, St. Jean-Baptiste is this patron saint. It's this great day where we celebrate. There are a generation of Canadians fans who can look at that day and if nothing else, they can always go back to June 24th and be like, that's the day Arturi Lekkonen scored a game-winning goal that sent the team to the Stanley Cup final. I don't think the Canadians have ever played that deep into a calendar year like that. I mean, obviously they win Stanley Cups, but like they don't think they've had games on June 24th. That day, which is already a sacred holiday, that's going to stay with Canadians fans and, and Quebecers for a long, long time. And seeing uh, fans come out of a pandemic, and I know we've drummed, we've drummed up that storyline so many times before, but it's worth mentioning and repeating that the fact that We've just gone through this pandemic, which unfortunately has affected a lot of people and seeing people go out in the streets. I remember when you were on the Waterboys podcast, you were saying one thing we're missing in the po- in the playoffs was seeing people take advantage of the playoffs and, and go out to bars and, and, and go outside and, and enjoy it like a normal postseason. It's not necessarily the normal that we're, mm-hmm. we're used to. People are trying to wear masks and people are feeling uneasy about people sticking up to sticking up next to each other outside the bell center but that's what's happening right now uh, people are going to remember this for for quite some time if the canadians are successful and i think even if they are not successful in, in my mind this already supplants the 2010 run which was improbable magnificent and ended in five games against the philadelphia flyers in round three the Canadians got to the Stanley Cup final, beating three teams that everyone thought uh, were going to dismantle them. They're they're here. I, as far as I'm concerned, I think the Canadians are playing with house money. Obviously, you want to win the Stanley Cup, but I feel just taking a step back here, the Canadians have shown everybody that, you know, you can throw all your prognostications and predictions in the garbage, essentially, because at the end of the day, a team like the Canadians who – what, like, had the 18th best record in the, in the NHL going into this? Like, any team could get to the Stanley Cup final. I also want to just add this with the Lightning here and their legacy. Uh, yeah, I think the fact that they have the salary cap stuff going on, they, they, we've made the jokes about, oh, they've got all this money above the cap. Their financial reckoning should be coming, right? Like, the urgency yeah. for them to win a Stanley Cup is, is paramount. And, yeah, fine, maybe if they don't win this year, uh, they could always say, hey, they got one last year. But considering what might have to happen with juggling some salaries around, you know, I, you're not, you're, you, they might not necessarily have the same team next season as, to, as opposed to what they had this year. And, of course, having Steven Stamkos be part of a full run 
uh, is obviously going to mean a lot to him as opposed to not only just playing like a few shifts, but scoring your goal in the Stanley Cup final. Like it, it's obviously going to be a lot more to Steven Stamkos. And I'm with you. I think he's a Hall of Famer if he's able to get that second chip. No, you're right. I think the Lightning have to win to to reach their full potential. But if they do reach their full potential, I believe their place in the salary cap era is unmatched. Um, I loosely, or I kind of stumbled to my question there, which I was trying to ask about contextualizing this moment. And it's not, you, you can't always contextualize a victory. You actually can more often than not in the NHL. I mean, the back-to-back cups for Pittsburgh, easy What's happening in Tampa? Easy. Ovi finally getting his Stanley Cup. Easy. Chicago and LA having those sort of dynasty, you know, seasons there uh, in the early 2010s. Like you can write narratives there. And it's what I was trying to get at is it's not as easy with Montreal, but you laid out a perfect explanation of what it does mean. And the fact that you could bring it back to that holiday and that the Canadians coming out of this pandemic can have that moment that they'll always remember, which might be even stronger than the fact that, you know, we have bragging rights because we're the best team in Canada because, you know, Canadian teams only played each other until this point, but that thing where you can trace back to game six, the holiday, if you could always remember that for the, if someone in the position that you're in an English, uh, that an English Quebecer, I, I'm not sure exactly how you put it. And I'll learn Angle that Quebec or whatever, same deal. But you you have that moment that you'll always remember, right? And you'll remember that that day was associated with this victory. And it could be even more. There's still a, another chapter to be written here. But that's the context I was looking for. So I'm glad you came through with the answer, even if I messed up the question. Dude, I've been stumbling through this podcast like crazy. You've been killing it. I was going to tell you after the show. So don't even apologize for that. Jeez. Here's another cool thing about that day. Like, it's not unless we go through another pandemic. When else are we going to see games played on June twenty fourth? I guess the Stanley Cup. I guess, but I wouldn't normally get there. I hope it doesn't get there anymore. It's time for summer. That. It's time for summer vacation, man. Yeah, just Sheesh. don't don't tempt me with a good time, Justin Guthberg. <laughs> okay, uh, I won't. Let's <laughs> let's we're going to do a little a little bit of prediction or forecasting here. So to start that off. Let's try and be quick about this. But if you see one advantage for Montreal, what do you think it is? Just picturing a crystal ball in front of me, trying to think about what distinct advantage they have. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you mine, and I'll let you think about yeah. it a little bit more while I'm uh, blabbing cool. on. I'll go cool. with the top four. I think Montreal is the better top four. Victor Hedman might be the Norris Trophy winner, uh, perhaps undeserved. I'm not really sure if uh, he's going to win it, but he's certainly nominated, and he's certainly won – with the most prestige right now compared to whoever the Montreal Canadiens have. But I think Montreal one through four is stronger right now on defense than the Tampa Bay lightning one through four. And Hedman has actually been very good. He's been better than he's been in the latter half of the regular season in these playoffs. And Ryan McDonough has been brilliant as well. And I guess there's that subplot, which we don't really talk as much about, but that's another one. Um, But Jan Ruta, he's been okay. And he's been fine with Hedman. That's, that's all good and, and well, and Sergachev's been great as well. But if I'm t- if I'm comparing the top four defenders and what they are doing in this exact moment, the way that those four, the top four with Montreal, are just playing so tightly and so cohesively since Jeff Petrie, you know, got his fingers taped together in a way that would allow him to continue performing at a high level, uh, I would say that if there is one advantage, because it's it's not obvious if there's any, really. But I will go with the Montreal top four as their 
as their advantage heading into this series? Um, if this makes sense, I think the Canadians will enter this series with less pressure on them as opposed to what the Tampa Bay Lightning will feel going into it as the favorites, going into it with the urgency of trying to win another one with this core, knowing that they may have to do some juggling with their salary cap issues heading into next season. Whereas the Montreal Canadiens, they weren't supposed to be here. They weren't supposed to get past the Toronto Maple Leafs. People were looking at them in the regular season as if they were going to fall off in the Calgary Flames would be in their place and instead they found a way to match up against all these other teams they've had to face off against in the playoffs and now they're up against the Tampa Bay Lightning I still think they're playing with house money as I alluded to earlier because of the fact that they weren't supposed to be here and the fact that now they are here I feel like they could kind of play with a little less of a heavy load on their shoulders I think the fact that fans have been rallying behind them and I think a lot of them regardless of what happens will still feel a lot of sense of pride a sense of pride with this team. I think in particular ones of my generation as well, who again, have not seen the Stanley cup and are just enjoying the fact that they can go outside and, and not be cooped up inside because of a pandemic. I, I think if you're a Canadians player, if you're on that team and everyone's kind of looking at you with the underdog, they've embraced that underdog role. Kind of also another small side tangent here. Uh, one thing that was a little interesting to me is the fact that Canadians interim interim head coach, Luke Richardson doesn't necessarily see his team as an underdog, but General Manager Mark Bergman said, yeah, we are the underdog, and it's okay that they are the underdog. It's really interesting how that kind of worked out. Let's be real here. The Canadians are entering this as the underdog. They have nothing to lose. If they lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's what more or less everyone expected. But if they win this, like, that's obviously going to be huge for them going forward. But I just don't feel they're going to go in with the same amount of pressure that the Lightning are going to field. And maybe when you're, you're going into a series or a game with nothing to lose – you kind of just play a little freer and it benefits your play. I mean, Hey, look, it worked for the Canadians against the Leafs. Uh, that is true. I mean, I think there's different ways to look at this though. I mean, do the Tampa Bay lightning not have an advantage in terms of playing free that they don't necessarily have to win to be considered Stanley cup champions, given that they've already done it. I feel like that gives them, I feel like that's given them an advantage throughout these playoffs is the fact that they, have all have that they've seen it they know how to do it but they also have it already and if you have it maybe it gives you that that not not just the expertise and the know-how to to do it but the fact that the pressure is off you that you know we, we don't we already can call ourselves stanley cup champions and we'll always be champions because we did it last year i i don't think it'll work as strong maybe it was more of a dynamic in the new york islanders series where new york has been around and hasn't been able to get over that hump. But I feel like it's two teams that could play loose for different reasons, I should say. Um, okay, the Tampa advantage. Do you have one on the tip of your tongue or should I go for it? For the Tampa advantage, I, again, I, and I, I feel like it kind of sounds like I'm contradicting myself because I'm saying we have to be careful with how we value uh, or at least how we rate uh, teams on paper. But so I'm strictly just going to say on paper – there is a talent advantage at forward. And I can, I, I see your your point on defense as well with the Canadians, with the way that they've played, at least with their top four. I think at forward though, I think the fact that the that the Tampa Bay lightning could get goals and points from Braden point, Nikita Kucherov, Anthony Sorelli, Alex Kalorn, Steven Stamkos, Andre Palat, uh, Barkley Goodrow in a pinch, Pat Maroon, who we haven't even mentioned to this point as well. They mm -hmm. are deep up front. 
And again, on paper, the, the one thing I'm looking at here is if the Canadians could find a way to stifle all of those guys where they were up against those other teams, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Jets and the Leafs, there were a few players they had to look at. And, you know, if Logan Stanley's going to score twice on you in a game, you know, that's, you can live with that because you're not getting killed by everyone else. It gets the Tampa Bay lightning. You know, I didn't even mention the, the possible score you could get from a guy like a Ryan McDonough or, or in Mikhail Sergachev or even a Victor Hedman when you need like the, the lightning are very deep. And I think their, their depth, they might be one of the few teams that were in the playoffs who might actually, when it's all said and done, have a much deeper team than the Montreal Canadiens. And I think they have that clear advantage on paper, strictly speaking on paper. Yeah. And, and that depth of talent is, you know, anchored by a few waves of high, high, high end talent. And I think that's the difference between what Montreal will see in the, in the previous teams it's faced and this team. I mean, Kucherov point, maybe Stamkos to a lesser degree, but still in his matchups should be considered that. I mean, these are elite, elite offensive players. And I think there's a, a stronger collection of elite offensive players for Tampa than certainly Montreal and also anyone Montreal has faced. So I think Tampa's advantage lies with that high-end talent and the fact that Phil Deneau can't shut them all down. It's going to have to take someone else to get um, to get that job done. Um, okay, let's do uh, predictions if you're interested. Uh, it might be a fool's errand given that we've struggled a little bit. Um, but I'll kick things off. I'm going to take the lightning in six. Um, and the reason is that, you know, we've seen Montreal figure teams out to this point. That's been their calling card. They, you know, took a pretty, pretty sizable beating for the Maple Leafs to start, but they figured out what they had to do to beat the Maple Leafs. And then they figured out pretty quick, quickly what they had to do to beat the Winnipeg Jets. And then I think the same thing sort of applies with Vegas in which they had to find themselves in the series before they can before they could win the series. But the problem with the Lightning is that the Lightning aren't one thing. They are many things. They will beat you your way. They will beat you their way. And unlike the Leafs and Jets and Golden Knights, the Lightning just have different dimensions. I think they're going to be a moving target. And if you're a moving target for a Montreal team that has identified and shot the target down on three straight occasions, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult to do that. And for that reason, I'm going to stick with the, the chalk and I'll take the Lightning to win it in six games. I'm going to say Montreal Canadiens in seven because... There we go. Off- there we go. One of us got to be yeah. right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think with the way that the Canadiens have just surprised everyone, they've shown that they're a team that is willing to work hard. And we're not just talking about the shutdown line. Everyone on this team is willing to work hard and, and put in a performance where they're able to stifle their opposing team's best players. And just like we were talking about with the goaltending matchup before, the Canadians can say that they have an elite goaltender of their own uh, in Carey Price. So I don't see too many situations where the Lightning are running up the score on the Montreal Canadiens. If it gets to a close game, especially uh, if it's a close game, a, a 0-0 game or 1-1 or whatever, we've seen that the Canadians have that killer instinct when an opposing team makes a mistake. And we've seen it with the Lightning as well in the playoffs where – you know, in close games, if they make one mistake, they could get burned. And I think the Canadians are one of those teams that could burn them as well. And I could see a situation where this series could be very tight. The Canadians won't want to let a lot of things go through and they'll be able to match up with some of those players. Again, tough ask, but if they're able to continue to work hard and cycle down low, they're able, they're able to do it. And if it gets to a point where uh, it gets to a game seven, 
I know Andre Vasilevsky is that guy in game sevens. He's been able to get shutouts in game sevens. I like Carey Price's odds in the game seven as well. And I think he's, I'm going to put, not that I'm a gambling person. I would rather put money on Carey Price in the game seven as opposed to Andre Vasilevsky. Well, if I'm being honest, I hope you're right. I hope the Montreal Canadiens complete the job here. I mean, I mentioned that I'm a sucker for legacies. I'm, I guess it's the sports writer thing. I like the, the narratives. I like guys that can, they can cement their status as all-time players based on what they do in these big moments. Sidney Crosby had left something to be desired to the point before the point where he won back-to-back Stanley Cups and Smythe trophies. We were going to be thinking, if that didn't happen, we'd always think, that something was missing from Sid's career, but he came through before he reached the point where he might be on the downturn. I don't want to, I don't want to say he's on the downturn, but he's 34 years old and we don't know if it's going to happen again for Pittsburgh, but it happened twice before we needed to have that conversation. I want that same thing to happen for Carey Price specifically because Carey Price, as we mentioned, is already the goaltender of his generation, a guy who's brought Canada a great you know, one of the better, best moments in our, in our history in terms of, you know, it wasn't Vancouver, but it was back-to-back Olympic goals. So uh, I'm pulling for Carey Price and I'm pulling for that narrative where we can just solidify him as the best of his era with a Stanley Cup and likely a Conn Smythe to go with it. Well, we will put a bet on it though, because you're going to make your inevitable, you know, not homecoming because it's not your home, but you're going to be coming to Toronto at some point, I assume. So the first round goes to the winner. Go. Of this uh, let's do the tire pumps before we wrap on, uh, you know, we'll probably be doing tire pumps down the road. We got an expansion draft to cover. We got a lot of things still in the NHL because summer's not ready for us yet, but uh, it's time for the last tire pump before the Stanley cup is awarded. So I'll let you kick things off. So we started the episode discussing uh, the allegations surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I guess our tire, my tire pup at least is going to bring that back. And uh, I, while Rick Westhead from TSN has done uh, an incredible amount of reporting on this, uh, I guess I will be loyal to my colleagues in, in Chicago and Katie Schrang and, and give them uh, a tire pup. And also uh, from uh, was it WBEZ in Chicago as well. They were the, I think they were the ones at the forefront of all this as well with their reporting on this as well. I think they were the first ones to do it. So let's not forget that uh, it's not just the big boys at TSN and the athletic uh, who have been doing some solid reporting. There's a lot of local reporting on the ground as well that contributes uh, to some of these stories getting out. So Katie Strang and the rest of uh, the athletic team behind the story uh, on, on the allegations surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks again, and in, again, something that I think has taken the shine off this organization and it's just kind of hard to, to stomach. And I just hope justice is seen through regardless of what happens with the investigation or not. Well, mine's going to Rick Westhead and it seems pretty obvious that we discussed this beforehand and we were going to give it to the people that are furthering the story surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks. And I, I sort of mentioned off the top, you know, about the criticism for insiders and PHWA members being silent on the subject. You know, some acquisitions accusations rather of you know protecting sources and all that but here's my rule on all this can you further the story can you add to it can you help the story along I mean I was watching the Suns and Clippers and Devin Booker calling for clear outs this is what it's I want to call a clear out for Rick Westhead and Katie Strang and everybody else who's done a great job 
this is the time for a little bit more silence and for the people who are bringing this story to light to own the moment. And Rick Westhead and Katie Strang can own the moment. So not that I'm defending anyone, but my rule on things like that is, can you further the story? Or are you just a mouthpiece that is, you know, saying, well, the NHL is so terrible. How can they let this happen? Like, uh, uh, you know, quote tweet doesn't do it justice. So clear out, let Devin, let Rick Westhead be Devin Booker and let him bring this story to light. That's sort of my journalistic stance on this thing. And I know that's not how everyone looks at it and maybe not the way everyone should look at it. But in this moment, I want the people that are doing such fine work to own the stage. And that's just sort of where I come. Ooh, I want to, I want to, I want to add to this then, because uh, you mentioned that maybe a quote tweet doesn't necessarily do a lot, but I think it does. Here's my thing on this. I think you're right in the fact that uh, Rick Westhead and, and Katie Strang and anyone else who is actually doing some reporting on what's going on, they need to own the moment and they need to ensure that they're doing, they're continuing the story being told and adding whatever details need to be added. But mm -hmm. just, but I mean, there's a reason why we started this podcast with this situation. There's a, there's a very distinct reason why, because we both realize that it's the story of the moment and it's not something that should be swept under the rug. So even if uh, a story like this is out there and a story like this being out there, even if it seems a little weird and a little scary or whatever, that shouldn't stop people from looking at it and be like, hey, no, there's some solid reporting being done here. And we all want to see the league uh, get to a point where it's a lot better than it is now and is able to handle situations like this. And they need to have their foot put to the fire for stuff like this. So yeah. while I think a quote tweet, I'm with you in the fact it does not do, it does not have the same impact as reporting on a story and furthering that story. It's important that, you know, whether you're in the PHWA or, or whether you're a blogger or whether you're, you're an editor or anything like that, mm -hmm. I think just pushing that story along and letting people realize like, hey, this is happening and people need to realize what's happening and people need to be held accountable I think that also plays a role in this story being furthered because I think if, if Rick and, and Katie do their jobs and, you know, they put out the tweets there and no one cares about it, you know, what's the incentive for the NHL to make this a big deal? I think, no, no, I think CP. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, yeah. I think there's, there's some merit to people sharing those stories out and being like, Hey, you know, something needs to be done about this. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the, the stories need to be shared and that's what I, that's sort of what I'm saying is I want, Right. The amplification of these stories instead of, you know, all this garbage that's going back and forth on Twitter that is just not, you know, backed up by anything that's real. What's real is what Strang and Westhead are doing. And I want those stories to be read and I want them to be shared and overshared so that the right things happen because they are the ones doing the truly good work. Uh, and it's on everybody else to make sure that those stories and those um, the accusations and the quotes and everything that comes from it is read, understood, and continued to push along the chain. Yeah. And yeah, it'll be done. I'm sure. Because one thing I've just seen from a lot of people in, in this industry now, I think a lot more people are willing to be less silent on these things and more and more people will be doing that. I, I definitely, uh, I understand the Stanley Cup final is underway. It's an exciting time for myself and it's an exciting time for a lot of hockey fans, but let's not forget the fact that there's a really ugly situation going on with the Blackhawks and 
this is not a story that's going to go away anytime soon. No, let's make sure that uh, both are given the attention that uh, they should be given. Um, okay, so we are going to continue to talk about that, and we're going to continue to talk about the Stanley Cup final as we go here. The nightly podcast, of course, will be dedicated to what happens from game to game, but I'm going to make sure that I get you back in here so that we can get some Canadian-specific insight on the Stanley Cup final, which, amazingly, I keep saying it, it's amazing that the Montreal Canadiens are involved in it, but it's Montreal, it's Tampa, and this has been the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, the preview for the 2021 Stanley Cup final between the Montreal Canadiens and Tampa Bay Lightning. Thank you, Julian, again for joining Man, I can't believe you said that, man. Montreal versus Tampa in the Stanley Cup final, man. I can't believe you. Peace, my dude. It's just nuts. See you, man. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.